Isaiah chapter 32. We'll read the first two verses and then jump to verse 14. See, a king will reign in righteousness, and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever, the delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks, till the spirit is poured on us from from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undistributed places of rest. Though hail flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely, how blessed you will be, sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. The reading will continue in the book of Acts, starting at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. Please do keep the second reading open in Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be looking at this morning. And as we come to God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, please, would you, by your spirit, which has been poured out on us, help us to understand and to apply these words that you have given to us from Acts chapter 1. Please, would you help us to know how to live as we live in this world, waiting for the return of Jesus. Amen. Now, waiting is a frustrating and fundamental part of living in this world. 
Um, nowhere was I more convinced of this than when I went to uh, the Wimbledon Tennis Championships. Um, if you've ever been and queued, I mean, it is extraordinary. So you, you get up early and you go to the, the big field and you're looking forward to this day of amazing tennis. And you arrive and you're given a, a ticket. And the ticket number says something like, you are number 5,336 in the queue, despite having got up really early in the morning. And you get to the, the big field, and there are these 5,000 people sitting in front of you. And you just have to sit there, and you have to wait, and you have to wait, and you have to keep on waiting. In fact, this waiting is so incredible. They give you a little booklet on the way in, which tells you how to wait in the queue. Uh, you can only get that in Britain, I think. Waiting booklets that tells you how to wait, all the things that you should do and the things you shouldn't do. I mean, it's amazing. You need to buy food from here. You need to make sure you don't get dehydrated. Um, you need to try talking to the people near you, apparently. That's what you should do. And of course, we know that waiting is frustrating. There's all these things that we're looking forward to, and we have to wait for them. And Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, is going to tell us that waiting is also a fundamental part of the Christian life. Waiting is a fundamental part of the Christian life. You see, last week on Easter Sunday, Matt preached about the resurrection of Jesus, about how he had been raised from the dead. But the question is, how do we keep living since Jesus has been raised? How do we keep living since then? Now, in verses 1 to 2, you'll see that this book of Acts is the, is the sequel to the book of Luke, which Matt preached on at the end of last week. And you'll see that it tells us about what Jesus is going to continue to do since his resurrection. And this morning we're going to see that Christians have something extraordinary to look forward to, something absolutely extraordinary to look forward to, more exciting than tennis at Wimbledon, but that we have to wait. And it's going to show us how it is that we live while we wait for this kingdom to come in. Um, If you have your sheets, you'll see that there's an outline. Um, It looks like there are two points on the outline, and there are kind of three applications flowing from it. Actually, there's only going to be one. There's only going to be one point. I slightly panicked earlier in the week when our administrator was going off um, on sabbatical. And so, you know, no one preaches a 1.7, but that's what it is. It's one point, and then there's, there's three mistakes that are flowing out of it. They're the applications. So, so the, first, the first one is hoping for the restored kingdom. And that is, what is it that we are waiting for? And so we're going to spend about half our time there thinking about what it is that we are waiting for. And then we're going to look at these three mistakes to avoid, if you like, the instruction booklet for the queue, how it is that we wait. So that's where we're going this morning. And so verses 1 to 6, we're going to begin hoping for the restored kingdom. And let's just jump down straight to verse 6 and to see what the disciples ask Jesus. Do you see the question, verse 6? They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. So the disciples, they're, they're hoping for Jesus to restore the kingdom. And so we've got to work out what it is that that means, because that is what we hope for if we're Christians, that Jesus will restore the kingdom. So what does that mean? Okay, so back up then to verse 3. So after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So you see again, Jesus is talking after his resurrection about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So what is this kingdom that Jesus is talking about? 
You can get slightly confused about this language of kingdom. What does it mean? But put really simply, a kingdom is a realm where a king or queen reigns. A kingdom is a realm where a king or queen reigns. So the United Kingdom, that's where Queen Elizabeth II reigns. Or the Kingdom of Sweden is the realm where King Carl XVI reigns. Or the Kingdom of Morocco is where the, the realm where King Mohammed VI reigns. Well done if you knew the second two. A kingdom is somewhere where a king or queen reigns. And if you've read part one of Luke's account, Luke's gospel, you'll know that back in chapter four, Jesus arrives on the scene and says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God because this is why I was sent. So Jesus turns up and says, I've come here to proclaim to you the good news of the kingdom. That's exactly the reason why I was sent. But not only has he come to proclaim the kingdom, when you get to chapter nine of Luke's gospel, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And one of the followers, Peter, says, you are God's Messiah. The word Messiah means Christ, which is like an anointed one. In the Old Testament, that's the king. So Jesus is not only the one who's gone to proclaim the kingdom, he arrives and says, he is the king of God's kingdom. So the kingdom of God, this is the realm where King Jesus reigns. The question is, what is this kingdom like? Because this is our hope. We want to know what it's like. What are we hoping for? What are we waiting for? Now, the long answer to that is, we'll go away and read Luke's gospel, where Jesus goes and explains it to us. But the short answer is, well, actually, the disciples have experienced it. The disciples have experienced it. Um, it it's something a bit like um, going to test drive a car. Now, I've never bought a car, so I don't actually know that, but... Um, I, when I was younger, I went with my parents as they were buying a new car. And it works a bit like this. So you, you turn up in your old car and you're painfully aware of everything that is wrong with it. So you know the, the bits that rattle, the gear changes that are a bit, a bit awkward to get out of. You know, for us as children, there was just not enough space in the back seat for three teenagers. And so you turn up and you're just painfully aware of all these things that are wrong. And then you arrive and you get given this new car. And the new car is incredible. It's like motoring paradise. You go around and, and nothing rattles. The gear changes are really smooth. And the space, there's just so much space in the back. And it's amazing. It's amazing. For about half an hour. For about half an hour. Then you have to give the car back and you get your old car back. And things continue as normal. And you're hoping that your parents, in my case, would buy this new car. That's kind of the disciples' experience as they've lived with Jesus, actually. You see, they're painfully aware of the world that they live in and all the things that are wrong with it, just as we are painfully aware of this world and all the things that are wrong in it, even as we've just prayed a few moments ago. We know that, that this world is ravaged by illness and death. We know that hypocrisy and greed often occupy the high places of society, while in the low places people are looked down on. We know that even in our own lives, our relationships are, are toxified by all sorts of evil things that, if we're honest, we cause a lot of the time. We're painfully aware of all the things that are wrong in this world. And yet for a brief moment, the disciples, they get to test drive in Luke's gospel, the kingdom of God. They get to see what that's going to be like as King Jesus comes down. And it is wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. 
It's absolutely wonderful. Because Jesus, if you remember, if you've read Luke's gospel, he, for a brief moment of time, he banished all illness. People came up to him and he touched them and they were healed. He even overturned death. Even overturned death. He confronted the hypocrites and the greedy. And he provided for the poor. King Jesus taught that in his kingdom, people would love their neighbors as themselves, that all the things that toxify our relationships would be gone. Of course, entry into the kingdom wasn't automatic. You'll remember, Jesus offered something amazing. Because if we were in the kingdom, we'd ruin it. And yet Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers forgiveness, full and free forgiveness. To anyone who would turn to him, And submit to him as the king. That's what his kingdom was like. A kingdom that would be perfect where people, anyone could come if they would submit to him as king. And so you see rich people and poor people, religious and those who are not religious. You see men and women, criminals, you see doctors, you see all sorts of people coming to Jesus and being part of this extraordinary kingdom. The test drive seems amazing. Until suddenly, on Good Friday, that first Good Friday, it gets taken away as Jesus dies. And hope of the kingdom seems to be gone. With the king dead, like all other kingdoms, it seems to have passed away. Like the car has been taken back and you've got the old car once more. But there on Easter Sunday, what we heard last week from Luke 24, that Jesus was risen from the dead. And it's so important because if the king is back then there is hope for the kingdom to be restored. If the king is back, there is hope for this kingdom to be restored. That's why if you look at verse 3, Luke reminds us that after his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. If the king has returned, which there are many convincing proofs, Matt took us through some of them last week. If the king is back, then there is hope that this extraordinary kingdom can be restored. Now, verses 4 and 5 intensify the hope for the kingdom, um, for the disciples. If you just look down for verse 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, the words might seem a bit odd and confusing at first, But really, it's what we've just been thinking about in baptism. To put it simply, if we remain the way that we are, we would ruin Jesus' kingdom. But if we can be cleaned on the inside and changed, then there's hope that we can be part of that kingdom. And so when Jesus talks about the Spirit being poured out compared to the baptism of John, John's baptism, it was just of water, it just washed you on the outside. But Jesus is talking about this hope that the Spirit is going to come and he's going to change us on the inside. And if we can be changed on the inside, then we can be part of that kingdom. We can come and join Jesus and not ruin it. Famously, there was a a writer, G.K. Chesterton, at the beginning of the last century. And the Times newspaper asked them to submit essays under um, under the title, What is Wrong with the World Today? What is Wrong with the World Today? And... So all these people who were asked, famous intellectuals, were thinking about what they're going to write in this essay in the Times. And let me read you G.K. Chesterton's essay. This is what he wrote. He wrote, Dear Sir, I am 
He wrote, Dear Sir, I am. Now, he may have been rushing for the deadline, but more likely, actually, he was thinking of profound theology, which is to say that we, ourselves, people inside, are the problem in the world. And yet what Jesus is promising, as he promises the Spirit to be poured out, is that God the Holy Spirit is going to come and change us so that we can be part of this kingdom. That's what he's promising. Now, in fact, many times in the Old Testament, God had promised that. That's why it says in verse in verse 4, the gift my father promised. And we read one of those um, passages in the Old Testament in Isaiah 32. There were loads of places we could go to. But just for a moment, let's, let's flick back to Isaiah 32. It's page 717, Isaiah 32. And we'll see these two components come together. We'll see a king and his kingdom. And we'll also see what happens when the spirit is poured out so that people are changed. And as we read through, I just want you to think, because this is the the hope that we have if we're Christians. This is what the world is going to be like when Jesus is the king. So it begins in verse 1 with the king. So it says, see, a king will reign in righteousness. So the king, that's Jesus, as as we've seen. And then from kind of 2 through 14, it says the world's going to get pretty bad. 14, it kind of climaxes. The fortress is going to be abandoned, the city deserted, citadel and watchtower become a wasteland. The delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks. And then 15, you get the turning point till the spirit is poured out on us. And let's read through and see what happens when the spirit gets poured out, because it is extraordinary. It is extraordinary. The world is transformed. The world is transformed. You see, the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. So the most inhospitable places become fruitful and abundant. It's amazing. But not only is the world transformed, you see, society is transformed. Verse 16, the Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. It's going to be a place of justice and righteousness. How we long for that in our world, justice and righteousness. But you'll see it gets even better. Verse 17, the fruit of that righteousness is peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Though hail flattens the forest, the city is leveled completely. How blessed you will be, sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. It's amazing. It's amazing. Peace, quietness, confidence, security, rest, blessing. That is the kingdom that Jesus is going to restore. That is your hope. That is my hope if we're trusting Jesus, the restored kingdom. As I've been reading the papers this week, in the aftermath of Brussels, you long for justice in the world. You long that we could live securely. And that is what Jesus promises in his kingdom. As I've sat in the hospital with a relative, longing that there might be rest from her illness, longing that we might have rest from anxiety, been hoping for the kingdom of Jesus. As I've seen the hurt that my words and actions have caused... I've been longing that I might be changed, that there might be blessing in the world. See, that is the hope of the kingdom. And so when you get to verse 6 and you see that the question that they ask Jesus, it kind of makes sense now. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
So they've seen the king, they've had a test drive of the kingdom, they've seen he's been raised to life, and he's promised the Spirit's going to be poured out, so they're asking, Lord, is it going to be now? Is it going to be now? And Jesus' answer is perhaps a little disappointing at first when you read it. Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set up by his own authority. In other words, you've got to wait. You've got to wait for that kingdom. It is coming. The Father has set a day when it's going to happen. It is coming. But it's not for you to know. It's not happening now. You've got to wait. You've got to wait. So that is the hope that we have for the restored kingdom if we're trusting Jesus. And yet we have to wait for it. We do have to wait. And so as we wait, there's a a few mistakes that that we could make along the way as we try and wait. And so we're going to run through a few of those now. There are three mistakes um, that we're going to try and avoid to make as we wait for the kingdom of Jesus. The first is to think that the kingdom is restored now. The first is to think that the kingdom is restored now. That is that this world is going to become something like the kingdom of Jesus, except without Jesus and without the spirit being poured out. That's the first mistake. Uh, and you may have encountered that actually in a kind of crass religious form of it, which is, you know, the person who comes up and says, uh, if you just have enough faith, then all of your illnesses will be healed. If you just have enough faith, then all your sin will just disappear and you'll live perfectly in this life. That is, the kingdom can come in now. And Jesus says, no, you've got to wait. You've got to wait. So that's a, a kind of crass form of it. But there's, there's a more subtle form which um, comes up. It's kind of related to humanism. It's sort of the, the air that we breathe, actually. And it's the, the thinking of progress. Progress. That, that this world is going to keep on progressing and progressing by small steps and small steps until somehow we've reached the kingdom of Jesus, except without Jesus. That this world and humans as we are can get there. That if we just advance technologically, then we'll be able to eradicate illness. If we make the right political and economic decisions, well then, of course, poverty will go away. And of course, we'll have good rulers. Progress. But of course, if the problem with humanity lies within, as Jesus says, well then, that's not actually going to work. Unless we're changed inside. Uh, the atheist philosopher John Gray, a couple of years ago, he wrote a book called The Silence of Animals on Progress and Other Modern Myths. And in it, he concedes, actually, that when you look at the history of the world, even as an atheist, when you look at the history of the world, the Bible's account of mankind of mankind as being fallen, that is, the problem is on the inside, makes much more sense than the idea of progress. He says, when, just when you look at what's happened over the course of history... Technology does progress, it's cumulative, but actually humans don't change. We just relabel stuff. So slavery becomes human trafficking, torture becomes enhanced interrogation techniques. We we relabel stuff, but humanity doesn't change. There is no progress. It's a myth, he would say. Because the kingdom of Jesus, he wouldn't say this, but the kingdom of Jesus is not going to be restored in this world. See, that's why we need King Jesus and need to keep looking forward to him rather than thinking it's going to come now. Otherwise, we get all confused in our expectations of this life. So that's the first mistake, the mistake of thinking the kingdom is going to be restored now. But the second mistake is to think, actually, well, the kingdom is never going to be restored. That's the second mistake. In verse 7, Jesus reminds us that's not the case. He says the Father has set a time 
when this kingdom is going to come. And if you just flick down to verse 11 for a second, you'll see at the end that Jesus will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. That's what he promises. So the Father has set a date when Jesus is going to come back and he will restore the kingdom. So so don't think that the kingdom will never be restored. Actually, if, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, this might be the mistake that you're thinking of making. Because I think it's, it's hard to read the, the passages in Isaiah which talk about this incredible kingdom and not really want it to happen. It does sound amazing. But at the same time, you, you might think, ah, but Jesus is long gone. He's long gone. He's gone years and years and years ago and he's never going to come back. But here, Jesus says that he is going to come back. And if God makes a promise, he has a very good track record at keeping it. You can read about that in the Bible. In fact, most clearly you see it in the resurrection of Jesus himself. That is where you see that God keeps his promises, that even death will be overcome. And so if you, if you understand that the resurrection has happened, then there's every reason to think that all the other promises will come true. And so don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, Jesus is never going to come back. I don't need to bother with Jesus. You don't want to miss out. You don't want to end up being banished from the kingdom. Instead, turn to Jesus and submit to him and have this hope become your hope, the hope of the restored kingdom. Of course, if you do call yourself a Christian, actually, you can make this mistake as well, the mistake of thinking that the kingdom will never be restored. And it can go one of two ways, really. It can turn up and be just despair. You think, ah, the kingdom's not going to come back. And so this life, this broken life is all there is. And so you just despair. Well, this morning, I want you to lift your eyes for a second and just think of that kingdom. Just think of how good it is that Jesus is coming back. So there is no need to despair. Yes, life is hard, but there is no need to despair forever because Jesus is coming back. Of course, the second way you make the mistake is thinking, oh, if Jesus is never going to come back, then I just need to get everything I can now and settle down now and do everything I can to make this life as best as I can now. Of course, that's the same mistake. If you live for now, it's forgetting Jesus is coming back, so you want to live for his return. Which leads us finally to the third mistake, which you could put positively, what should we be doing between now and Jesus' return while we wait? The mistake is doing nothing. And in verse 9 to 11, you'll see that that's the mistake that the disciples seem to to be thinking about making. So verse 9, after Jesus had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You see the mistake? They they just want to stand there staring up at the sky. They they want to do nothing. And the angels gently rebuke them. They say, don't do nothing. But what should they be doing? Well, they should be doing what Jesus has just told them to do in the previous verse, which is verse 8. Look at verse 8. This is what Jesus says. This is how you wait for the kingdom. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says that the way we wait is to be witnesses. 
the way we wait is to be witnesses to the kingdom. The kingdom is so good that everyone needs to hear about it. The kingdom is so good that everyone needs to hear about it. I don't know if the creators of YouTube had any idea of the power of their website when they first invented it. Seem it's just for watching videos, but apparently Wikipedia tells me that 2004 was the first time a video went viral. The video went viral. That is, it was so popular, it was so good that it, it was shared and shared and shared and shared by everyone all around the world so that it was seen by millions and millions of people. Something so good that it had to be shared by everything. And Jesus is saying that the king and his kingdom is so good that it needs to go viral. That is, everyone needs to hear about it. It's got to go to the ends of the world. Of course, in an age before YouTube, where international travel was tricky, the thought that the 11 unimpressive disciples living in an obscure part of the Roman Empire would be able to take the message of the kingdom of Jesus to all the ends of the earth would seem laughable. Yet as you read through this book of Acts, what you find is in Jerusalem in chapters 2 to 7, then in Judea and Samaria, chapters 8 to 12, then through Europe, right to the heart of the Roman Empire in chapters 13 to 28, the kingdom spreads, and since then it has been spreading so that on every continent of this planet, people have heard of the kingdom of Jesus. And it keeps on spreading and keeps on spreading, going viral around the world. Now, how did they do it? How could they, how could we spread this kingdom, witness to this kingdom? We will see in verse 8, Jesus says that they're not alone. So verse 8, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to empower you to be witnesses. So God, the Holy Spirit comes, not only does he clean us, but he empowers us so that we can tell everyone. And not only that, if you just look back at verse 1 as well, you'll notice Jesus Luke uh, says, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and teach. You see, Jesus ascended, but it's not that he's now somehow disconnected from the world. Jesus continues to be at work in the world. He continues. The king is continuing to be at work. And he does that as people empowered by the Spirit witness to the kingdom. That is what Christchurch Mayfair is about as a church. If you pick up one of the, the leaflets that say what we're about as a church, you'll see there are three headings, and one of them is going in mission. That is the mission of witnessing. Witnessing to the kingdom of Jesus. See, we don't want to make this mistake as a church of doing nothing. We want everyone to hear and do what we can to make sure everyone can hear of this kingdom. So we send out and support people to other nations We pray for them. We give money to support them. We don't want to be doing nothing. But not only do we send others out, this witnessing is something that we are involved in personally. As we speak to our friends, as we speak to our colleagues, as we encounter the brokenness of this world and respond by pointing to the restoration of the kingdom of Jesus, telling how good that is. Something that all of us are involved in. So we don't want to make the mistake of doing nothing. We don't want to be caught standing here, staring up, looking at the sky. Instead, we want to be found witnessing to all the nations, telling them of the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is so good that it must go viral. It must go viral. Everyone must hear. And and Jesus continues to do in the world. He empowers his people by the Spirit. He helps us to be witnesses of the kingdom. 
So look, as we close, waiting is a fundamental part of the Christian life. We wait. We're in the in-between time. Jesus is risen, but he's not returned. The kingdom is not restored yet. But we do hope for it. We do hope for this restored kingdom. And so let's not fall into either trap of thinking that it will never come or thinking that it will come here. Instead, let's resolve that we will be witnesses. Witnesses to this kingdom, that everyone can hear about it and come be part of it. Why don't I pray that that would be the case for us as a church? Heavenly Father, we don't want to be found as a church doing nothing. Instead, Father, we would love to be a church that witnesses to the kingdom of Jesus, that takes this kingdom, the message of the kingdom, to the ends of the earth. We praise you that we have this hope of a restored kingdom. We praise you that Jesus has shown us what it's going to be like, that in his resurrection he's proved that he can bring it in. And so I pray that we would now be found as witnesses of the kingdom. Please would the message that goes out from Christchurch Mayfair every week in our offices, in our homes, as we gather as a church, would it be of this kingdom so that everyone can hear and be part of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name as we wait for his return. Amen.